Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. HR Locker, a leading provider of global HR compliance platforms for mid-sized scaling and international businesses, has revealed a startling void between HR professionals' confidence in their GDPR compliance and actual adherence to the regulation. And those of you who have crossed paths with the wrong side of GDPR may, may agree, it's definitely not something to be ignored. So talk to us about this today, the findings of the research and what we can do to remain compliant. We're delighted to be joined by Christelle Rin. COO at HR Locker. Thanks for joining us, Christelle. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Owen and Mary, for having me today. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And brilliant to have you here, Christelle. Now, I know maybe some of our listeners might be rolling their eyes at this point and saying not GDPR, but, you know, it's important. <laughs> yeah, let's see what we can do to help. Perfect. So look, I'll jump right in and I'll come to yourself, Christelle, first, if that's all right. Um, so obviously we're chatting today mainly about look the, the research findings, which I found quite startling, as, as I'm sure you'll agree. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those main findings um, from your recent research into HR and I suppose their relationship with GDPR? So I suppose the main thing that we saw, um, Owen, was that most of the policies and procedures that uh, were put in place were put in place in 2018. And then they were put in place and never looked at again, basically. So they kind of ticked that box in 2018 and thought that that was it. GDPR was done and people were compliant um, going forward. And what we've seen really is that over the last five years now, that none of those policies or procedures were ever looked at again or ever updated in regards to any of the um, case law that's that's come out of GDPR. So when they were actually brought to the test and actually tested, they didn't actually stand up to the test of time. Um, even just small things like retention periods or um, or even data subject requests, that, um, that was really the main thing that we saw, that people put in this framework in place as a real reaction to GDPR coming out in 2018. And then people were kind of thought, you know what, that's great, HR are handling that issue. We never have to think about it ever again. Um, uh, I love to talk about GDPR. I think most HR people would say that it's not in their wheelhouse. It's not their thing. But in most companies, HR kind of gets given that GDPR um, compliance uh, uh bucket, I suppose, to say you guys are those um, people who are going to go and, and and sort that out for the company. And a lot of the time, it's a little bit unfair because a lot of HR professionals haven't been trained in, in terms of retention periods or what actually is personal data. Um, and even though that, that structure has been in place since 2018, lots of things have happened since then. We've had AI, we have um, a remote working, we've had hybrid working. So things change all the time. Um, and we've... so. I suppose the biggest gap that we found was that HR people weren't being trained up enough on current things that are happening. They weren't changing their current policies to reflect things that are happening. For example, data analysis in the home, if you've got remote working or hybrid working, or maybe when you put in your policies in 2018, 
you didn't have everything in the cloud or you were still using paper-based products. So make sure that you that they, they hadn't changed or kept up to date. So that really was the main findings that people weren't actually changing their policies with um, with the times, I suppose. Definitely. And look, it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a tricky one to to tackle. So it's, it's I suppose, not not surprising in, in a way that, that they're the findings. Um, I suppose, Mary, kind of just on the back of that then, is that something we're kind of hearing from our clients, Mary? I mean, that they're kind of struggling to understand it, struggling to stay compliant with it, despite obviously knowing it's there. I think I agree with you, Christelle. Um, there was uh, this big rush in 2018 to comply with the GDPR. And since then, uh, I think a lot of uh, HR people have put it on the back burner um, and haven't updated. And, you know, in some ways you can't really blame people because it's the way in which it's written is so difficult. And actually, when you break it down and and try and understand what personal data is when you get away from the labels and you you get away from the language um, of the legislation, it, it's actually quite simple. You know, it's information that you gather about employees that in all reasonableness, those employees don't want shared with uh, a multitude of people and that you're required by law to protect that information. And it, I think sometimes the, the language used um, the way in which we think about it and the fear that's associated with it. It seems like a very big project, doesn't it, for those who haven't uh, already um, got a handle on it or has haven't already set up project teams. I don't believe it's a HR um, project and I don't believe it should sit with HR. I think it's a company-wide project and, um, you know, the, the most successful way of handling it is is by taking an organization-wide approach, including HR. Absolutely. And as with along with so many things, Mary, it is, a lot of these things do tend to be company-wide things that may be led by HR. But again, a lot of these things come back to company-wide efforts. That's an important point, definitely. Um, I suppose, Christelle, just jumping back into the research again, uh, and just to dig a little bit deeper on that, what were some of the most prominent data breaches? I suppose it might give people a little bit of a a sense of the realities of it. what were the, the most prominent data breaches you saw in the research? So the most prominent and exactly what Mary said um, at the beginning was in terms of your personal data, what is that? It's data that people don't want shared. Um, and that that was the biggest, that has been the biggest data breach is that employee data um, is accidentally shared um, to people who shouldn't have access to it. Um, the most I suppose um, it wasn't really surprising, but the most interesting fact was that most of the time it wasn't down to a technical glitch or that two-factor authentication wasn't working or something like that. Most of the time it was that somebody just made a mistake and they accidentally sent a payslip to John instead of Jack. Um, and they and they they dealt with it poorly after that. Um, so when we go back to, um, Mira, you said this earlier, is that, you know, HR are the custodians of, of GDPR, but they're... It is a company-wide obligation, company-wide, I suppose, initiative that everybody has to understand. So that if you've done something that you've accidentally caused some kind of breach, I mean, you should put up your hand hand and deal with it effectively. And there are processes and procedures to deal with it. Um, so, for example, accidentally, John sends a payslip to Jack. It's a breach. You need to address it with the employee. Um, you know, address the breach appropriately. You should have a policy in, pra- in place for that and to put it put in um i suppose measures in place that it's not going to happen again because these things are going to happen um 
companies who are doing the best in the world are always going to have do some mistake. And most of the time it is a people mistake. Um, but it is making sure that what are you going to do with the ramifications after that? So accidentally, you've had an, a breach of employee data. How do you get that trust back from, an, from a HR perspective? Because accidentally, um, Jack now knows how much John is getting paid and he got all his bank account details as well. So how do you gain that trust back? So even though we have the fundamentals of GDPR in, in companies, and I think most HR um, people would understand what GDPR is and what the obligation is. I think, Mary, you'd, you'd agree with that sort of it. People do understand what they're supposed to do, but sometimes it's the reaction to it. So something really negative has happened and they're like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We've dealt with it. We've told Jack everything's grand. But actually, Jack wasn't happy. He's kind of upset that his data has been breached. Um, so to go through the processes properly and to actually explain explain um, that, you know, it was an accident, things have been put in place to stop that again. What do you want to happen after that? Most of the time, what we hear about are the real cool breaches, you know, like that there's phishing attacks or ransom attacks and all kinds of, you know, cybersecurity hacking going on. Um, that's, not the, that's not the bulk of the data breaches that most companies have. Most of the time, it's a mistake that somebody has made they've accidentally shared information with somebody. And look, I think a big, a big question for a lot of HR people and, and leaders listening to this will be around that kind of data retention piece, because as we know, HR holds so much data for various reasons. I mean, current employees, prospective employees, everything like that, a lot of a lot of different details. And I'll come to both of you for this question, but I'll come to yourself, Christelle, if that's right first. So when it comes to that data retention piece, look, it's a big one for HR teams, given with everything they have. But what can be kind of done here, either proactively or reactionary to just I suppose, make people aware of how much data they have, but also what to do and what not to do with it. I'm a huge fan of audits. So, um, and not audits for the sake of passing the audit. Um, we have an internal audit team here um, and it's a task force, not made up, just HR people. We have four auditors here that come from different departments. So we do proactively, um, you, would, you wouldn't audit, audit your own department, you audit other, other depart- departments. Um, to test the processes and procedures that you have in place. So their job is to make sure that what you're saying you're doing, you are actually doing. And it's also an emphasis on process improvement as well. So it's not just saying, oh, I've gone, I've audited Owen, he got 10 out of 10, all his stuff is excellent. That's not really what you want out of the audits. You want to make sure that actually I've audited, these processes were, um, were, were checked, retention periods all good. Kind of saw that maybe this area might be improved a little bit, maybe that... Um, you know, we've we've seen maybe that there could be um, a potential here for an, a, a risk. And then it's up to the company to decide, well, you know, we're going to accept that risk or we need to put something in place to make sure maybe there's further training required or maybe there's um, some bit of IT um, automation or something like that can go around it. But I think that from a proactive perspective, the auditing is is where you should be doing it. So, I mean, I'm not saying that people should go out and start auditing every single department once a week. But you should have an audit um process in place um, that that every department is audited at least once a month. And I would um, be a huge advocate that it is not a HR driven project. It's a company driven project. There is personal employee information that is held in every single different department, whether it's down to um, even really small things like um, who orders the uniforms for people, the sizes of, of things, you know, medical information, payroll information, um, your performance reviews. There's so much HR information that is not just held by HR, it's held by every single department. And from that perspective, those audits need to be looked at and the retention policies need to be looked at and tested. So um, I think that's kind of the main thing as well that's come out of all the um, research is that 
people have these wonderful retention policies. And then when they're actually audited, they don't actually really apply them. <laughs> so, you know, you need to be testing those policies. Definitely. And I suppose similar question to yourself then, Mary. I mean, there's a lot of different facets to this, isn't there? And again, it's kind of similar to a lot of the things we speak about. I mean, there's training, there's that review piece, that audit piece, and then there's the, I suppose, the policy side of things as well. So there is a lot of things that are involved with this, Mary, but again, a lot of things that people can actually look to try proactively or reactively fix these issues, isn't there? No, there really is. And I, I suppose to start with, you have to understand what you have. You know, what files do you have? What's in your in inbox? Uh, what hard copy files do you have? What soft copy files do you have? Um, why are you keeping them? And time and time again, it comes back to time. Um, because I don't have the time to go through my inbox and delete all those emails, or I might need them sometime again in the future, so I'm holding on to them. Um, or, you know, I just don't have the resources to go through what's in the, those filing cabinets. Um, I've got so many other HR priorities. So my first step would certainly be understand what you have, what you're keeping, what risks you're exposed to by keeping what you have. Um, and I think, look, in HR, I think we hoard, don't we? You know, we hoard uh, because we might need something in the future. We hoard because we were afraid maybe someone might litigate against the organization. But we have to have clear logic behind all of that. Why are we doing what we're doing? So knowing what you have would be number one for me. Um, deciding what to do with what you have is number two. Your policies and procedures, actually I find that a lot of people have them in place because they put them in in 2018, but they're not maybe business practical anymore given the nature of the change in across organizations um like christelle said earlier you know hybrid remote um ai all of that has changed what we did in 2018 so reviewing the policy through those lenses are important and then to think about well what happens i think if you take really simple processes you know like acv a CV comes into you from where? Where do you store it? Who has access to it? Are they printing it? Um, is it in somebody's inbox? Is it in someone's desk? Is it in a drawer in someone's desk? Is it left on a desk? If you look at every single HR process and break it down into its simplest, um, I suppose, form and think about what do we do with all this information that we're gathering and collecting? How secure are our systems? Um, who has access to them? Who has passwords? So on so so forth. You know, it's it's about the reasonable steps and precautions that you take to protect information. Um, and you know, you're only as strong as every point in the organization. So if you send it to me as a manager and I print it out in my home and leave it somewhere and it gets binned and it somehow gets into the wrong hands and your name is associated with it, you can have a problem that you really and truly did not anticipate. And then what's our process for reporting these breaches? Um, you know, like everybody else, we've all had uh, issues when it comes to information uh, most commonly being sending the wrong piece of information to someone by email. Certainly, I, I've seen that 
widely across organizations. And then the, should we cover it up? Should we report it to the DPC? Oh my God, we've got to speak to the employee themselves. Um, and, you know, each and every step can be an issue for the organization because, you know, if we share your medical data with someone and you're not happy about it, we, we've got a problem with you. And that's where that piece of it comes in and people start scurrying to protect and, and you know, stop the reporting piece of it when actually that's the very thing you should be doing. Um, but I do sympathize for people out there because it is a bit of a nightmare. It is a bit of a headache. You can fall foul quite easily. Um, and it's very much these days used as a precursor to an employee taking a claim against the company as well. You can almost spot a claim coming because the first step is someone puts in a, a, a subject access request and um, HR is scrambling around trying to find every piece of paper, every little piece of information. And at that point, it becomes abundantly clear what you have that you shouldn't have uh, and what opinions have been expressed in the course of that process, too, that you now have to share with the employee or try and fall back on some article that allows you to exclude it. No, I was actually going to say, Mary, I'm so glad that you mentioned um, a couple of times around the paper hard files, because so often people think that GDPR doesn't cover, um, you know, your actual physical file. And, you know, and just to be really clear, it is not GDPR is not just, you know, your, your virtual data or your the data that you hold in your cloud or the data that you hold in your online HR system. The data that you have in your in your filing cabinet is covered under GDPR as well. So, you know, that has to be shared when you've got a data subject request as well. You can't just say, well, that's just for my own view. I don't actually share that. That's just my personal thoughts. That has to be shared as well. Um, and I think a lot of the time people think, oh, well, you know what? If it was just a quick note that I wrote down or a quick note that I put, that's just my own personal secret file. We, we, we don't have secret files anymore is the, is the key. Yeah, it really has forced, um, I suppose, managers back into the paper, pencil and um, yeah. telephone calls, hasn't it? Uh, and the shredding yeah. immediately if you don't want something documented. But it, it does have that, you know, at a real and practical level, managers need to discuss employee issues. We're so used to doing those kind of things by email, copying all and sundry. Um, and it's such a no-no these days. You know, you've just got to be so careful about you know, what you're doing, what opinions you're expressing. Um, because if you try and rely uh, on an exemption, you've got to be able to prove um, that there's logic behind that exemption. And it's very difficult to do so. Uh, once you express an opinion about somebody, uh, is that their data? Yeah. And even, Mary, you were saying in regards to CVs, gone are the days where I'd get a CV, send it to you to have a look, say, come here, we have a look at that. Mary, you'll send it to Owen to have a look. And it's now in 25 different people's inboxes and it's been printed out three times. You know, that's, you know, that's your risk element. So People, I'm sure, have a policy sitting somewhere that says, oh, we never send it anywhere. We only keep it in HR and then we give it to the hiring manager. The hiring manager destroys it after that. Well, are you actually doing that? 
Yeah, and I I would have a question about how many, you know, wh- where does that fall down? Uh, I'm pretty certain that, you know, once you send it out to the hiring managers, unless there's some kind of auditing or policing of that, then, you know, that that's your weak point. I'd agree with you. Definitely. And I suppose when these things do fall down, then, um, and I'll come to both of you again for this, but I'll come to yourself again first, Christelle. I suppose, what's the cost of getting these things wrong then, or if something happens or continues to happen? Can you talk to us a little bit about that from your perspective, Christelle? They're huge costs. And, and you know, it's very wild, wi- widely known. I'm not going to spend loads of time on, but there is the fines. You've got 2% of your annual turnover or up to 10 million. Upper tier, you've got 4% up to 20 million. Hopefully you're never, ever going to be in that situation. But so there are obviously the financial penalties. But if you look past that, you've got your legal expenses. So Mary, you were talking about there that most of the time, if somebody's done a a data access request, a data subject request, more than likely it's because they're on the way to the WRC. So, you know, it's that side of of things that you're going to have a a legal expense and the financial expense from that side of things. Um, Your reputational damage, if you had a breach, you didn't report it or you've had to you've had to report it now your reputational damage as a company sometimes is you know that's you know that's priceless a lot of the times so that's that you really need to make sure that you're following your processes properly um and then mary you mentioned this a couple of times is that a lot of it's down to the, your employee morale then as well so yes of course there's a there's the actual um physical financial cost that if you god forbid have a massive breach and you're imposed with a percentage um fine you've got legal fees but a lot of the time, you know, that's on the higher scale of things. If something really terrible has happened, most of the time it's your employee, your employee morale. You know, so like, like I said, there's been a breach. Now Owen doesn't trust us. We actually didn't even talk to Owen. We kind of said, look, just ignore it. We've dealt with it. Um, Owen's not too impressed that I've shared medical, your medical information with somebody else. And a lot of that can come down to actually sitting down and saying, look, this is what's happened. What do you want us to do? This is the process. We're going to follow it. We're going to report it as a breach. We have 72 hours to report it. We've notified our our data protection officer. I've spoken to Mary, who I've shared it with. Mary has said, absolutely, she has deleted it. She doesn't have any any information. Are you happy with that? Do you need to talk to somebody else? Do you want to get a third party involved? Maybe talk to that third party because we're taking this really seriously and we're really taking your concerns on board. And that communication element can't be um, overlooked. I think that that employee side of things. Um, and I think a lot of the time when you go and listen to a really scary GDPR webinar and it's all about you're going to get fined 2% of your turnover um, and it's going to be this huge, terrible thing. That's not the majority of the cases. The majority of cases that might go down the WRC route and really had a lot of employee internal damage as well. Definitely. And I suppose maybe with all of these things as well, I mean, HR teams are stretched enough as it is, as we know. It, it's something that if you do a breach, there is a, a short timeline. You have to kind of drop everything, put additional stress on the team. But you also have, as Christelle said, a disgruntled employee, and rightfully so. So there is, I suppose, not so obvious costs, just building on what Christelle has said there. There's some not so obvious costs to this kind of stuff as well, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And I mean, I guess if, if you end up uh, being reported to the DPC as well, uh, for a data breach, which is, you know, a quite common employee move, particularly if they're unhappy about something you've done or or they're just generally disgruntled. Um, the letters from the DPC are pretty difficult to understand. And again, it's not for the layperson. Um, 
it, it's something that you will need legal advice to actually get through and, and to respond to appropriately unless you have your own internal um, experts in this area. But even when you do have that kind of knowledge, you generally need some kind of legal advice when you find yourself in this position. Um, and often people don't have a leg to stand on um, because the the policy was out of date or or never really looked at since 2018. You hadn't followed the guidance notes because they weren't published in 2018 when you first put in place your policies. Um, you don't operate that clean desk policy that you have outlined in your handbook or, or you know, you haven't kept an inventory of uh, what you deleted and when, what you hold and where, um, what information you process and how. So uh, I think it can be quite a scary place for an organization when there are breaches. Now, obviously, the larger the organization, the better they are at putting in place the, the systems and the processes. Uh, where I see the biggest challenge really is in the SME sector, um, where the the resources aren't there in the same way and believe it or not we still have some clients who are only now putting in place their uh, GDPR from a HR perspective so they're way off in terms of uh, compliance with with the regulations um, so it's something to take seriously it's something to get your head around uh, I know when we throw it out here any anyone on the team want to do GDPR course or training you know everyone's avoiding eye contact because who wants to do it it's seen as a, a dull or dry area and yet when you break it down when you really look at it it's not so complex uh, it's simply about the protection of information as I always say to people anyone can have a situation that occurred with um, in Crumlin Hospice where you ended up having uh, Doolin versus the DPC and it going all the way to the Court of Appeal because uh, they captured the image of um, an individual taking unauthorized breaks using their CCTV footage and process that information when they shouldn't have. So knowing what you're doing um, and avoiding getting yourself into trouble is really important. Definitely. And when it comes to those data subject access requests, Mary, I mean, I know from the research that Christelle and the team at HR Locker have done, they found that some HR teams are taking a little bit longer than they should to, I suppose, respond to those requests. I suppose a lot of that, Mary, probably comes down to what you said already, the time, the know-how, all that kind of stuff. Any kind of thoughts on that piece? Yeah, it, it's, I mean, the first step really is to go back and, and approach the individual and, and establish if there's something in particular they're looking for. Otherwise, you're sending every pay slip um, that you hold uh, on your systems or every timesheet that you hold on your system. And it may not be that which the employee is actually after anyway. So narrow where you can um, so that you um, are able to deal with the actual request. But again, you have to be aware that certain employees and solicitors uh, are, are using it, A, as a nuisance factor. So the company has to go to this huge effort to provide every piece of information uh, to that individual. Or, um, you know, the person who's made the request doesn't actually understand the absolute scope 
uh, of the request either. So acknowledge it, um, narrow it where you can, and then do your level best to comply within the, the period. So, you know, try and comply within 30 days. If, if don't comply within 30 days, it's still there. It's still going to drag on. Um, you know, you can get an extension, but it, in my view, you have to put a resource to it uh, because it's a huge project. One, de one data access subject request takes a huge amount of time. Absolutely. And I guess was the last big question then for, for both of you, and I'll come to yourself first for this, Christelle. Um, I suppose when it comes to, I mean, that headline stat, sorry, from your research, is that what, two th or three quarters of people in HR have, have, have breached the, the regulations in the past one months. So it is quite stark and startling. So although I'm sure the intentions are good, what's kind of missing here? Is there anything we can do to kind of solve this problem going forward? Because I suppose it's been, it's been an issue for a lot of HR teams previously. I think the, the key thing, and, and Mary, you alluded to this as well, is that I think every HR person is coming from good intentions. Nobody is trying to hide data. Nobody is trying to throw your data all over the place and, and have data breaches left, right and centre. They are trying their best. I think that's really important to acknowledge is that HR people are, their intention is to be GDPR compliant. Um, I suppose where, where people are struggling from is lack of guidance. Lot, there's not a lot of um, HR specific GDPR guidance out there that specifically says, you know, what is, um, what do you do? Do you, do you have to deal with um, reviews differently to grievances? You know, how should you deal with that in terms of if, you know, I've, I've sent an email about, oh, and is that now all of a sudden is personal data? How do you actually, you know, what are the actual HR guidelines? And I think that that is the biggest challenges for HR people is that, it has, there isn't specific for HR. I think also the other biggest challenge um, uh, I, I see in most companies is that it is the chalice that is given to HR. GDPR, that's a HR thing, where in actual fact, that could, couldn't be further from the truth. It's not a HR function, it is a company function. You know, it's HR may be the custodian of employee data, but there's so much more. Every single department is going to, impact HR data in some format. Um, so it can't just be left with the HR department. Um, it has to be, it, it can be project led from the from HR, but everybody has to be involved. It can't be a single loan, um, a, a kind of a loan project from HR perspective. And I think we see that a lot of the time um, with, uh, with certain things that are given to HR, you know, even if we look at employee engagement or anything that, it's like, oh, that's a HR thing. Nobody in the whole company, nobody in the rest of the company has to deal with it. But, you know, HR, you sort that out, whereas it's not just a HR function. It has to be a cross-company function. Um, and so I think for me, the biggest aspects that I would say that can improve um, GDPR um, from a HR side of things is, is around continuous learning. You know, like we had, like I said, we had ChatGPT, we have AI. How does that actually affect if I take your, if I take my notes, my um, interview notes, and I stick them into ChatGPT to, to put them into bullet format? How does that affecting our, G our GDPR policy? Um, you know, that's a new thing that wasn't there a couple of months ago. Um, so around that continuous learning, which um, I think as HR professionals, we really need to embrace around GDPR. Um, and I also think that the most important is that interdepartmental collaboration. So can't just be HR, legal, IT, operations, everything, customer success. 
sales, marketing. It is a full on company um, initiative. And um, like I said, HR can be the project manager, but it has to be led, um, led throughout the company. Um, real practical solution. So we um, this is what we do in our own company is that you know we have task forces set up for for different um, for different things. And one of them is around GDPR and our ISO. And we have some representative from every single department. Um, we do lead it internally from an operational perspective um, to make sure that the meetings are happening. Because <laughs> like I said, Mary, when I mentioned GDPR, they're like, I don't want to be on that team. Can I be on the employee engagement team instead? <laughs> no, you're on the GDPR team. But <laughs> um, So we do make sure that they're meeting and talking about real practical things. What do you think we should do with ChatGBT? How do you think we should be adapting that? How is that going to affect it? Um, you know, and and really make sure that from a, that you get a company buy into GDPR that it isn't just something that HR is moaning about constantly. So I think that that um, that task force um, element has really helped us as a company, and we've used it in a number of different kind of topical things. We have an AI task force, and we have an employee engagement task force, where you get representatives from every single um, department to actually to to drive it and to make it that it's company wide. And um, that's that's really worked for us. Um, that and just continuous learning because things change all the time. We're in such a fast paced environment now, you know, we thought remote was hard a couple of years ago. Now we're into AI and ChatGBT, you know, it's, things be something else in a couple of months time. That would be, I think, yeah, keep up to date with things. 100%. I suppose kind of same question to yourself then, Mary, any additional thoughts on that solution side of things? I mean, a lot of this is knowing as much as you can, having the policies in place, embedding it there, as Christelle is saying as well. But also, I mean, if you don't, if you don't get this kind of stuff, getting that support piece as well, isn't it? I think so. And if you if you don't have the time, and I say this all the time in this podcast, if you don't have the time, get external support, because, you know, just lit, letting any project, uh, whether it's updating your handbook or, um, you know, updating your policies and procedures or getting to grips with GDPR, um, some of these things are bigger than the function. And you do need external support, maybe to come and audit, maybe to um, guide around the policy development, maybe to help you do that inventory to understand what it is you have and don't have um, on your systems. But it would be a starting point anyway. And to me, GDPR is one of those projects that's ongoing. You don't complete it. It's ongoing. It's there all the time and it has to be uh, front and centre of how you actually operate as a function because HR processes so much data. And I think initially when um, the regulations came into effect in 2018, so many companies focused on the marketing piece of it and, and the sales piece of it and the customer piece of it. But actually, typically when you're dealing with your customers, you're only collecting a certain amount of data. Um, depending on the industry, of course, and, uh, you know, you have to exclude places like insurance companies and things like that who, who have everything. But outside of that, from your, um, in terms of your functions, HR gathers the most information about people, about employees. So you really do need to get your head around it, get your head around the regulation, bring in your experts, set up your teams, set up your uh, cross-functional teams uh, and tackle it together as a group. Uh, and look, if someone offers you one of those GDPR courses, just take it up. 
<laughs> give it a shot. It, you know, take away the mystery from it. Um, I'm still I'm still looking for hands to be raised here at Insight HR. And it's usually mine. I, I find myself, OK, I, I'll do it then. I'll, I'll go on the course um, because there's not a lot of volunteers. And I do, I do get it. I do get why people are afraid of it, turned off by it, don't want to be the expert in GDPR, would prefer Owen to be the expert or Christelle to be the expert, not me. I don't want to be the expert. Well, I'm sorry you got signed up there for that course. It's happening next week. (laughs) Do you think I put enough pressure on him, Christelle? That's it. I'll clear my calendar. Brilliant well, look, I suppose the good news is a lot can be done about it. We've covered a lot there, but from the sounds of it, there is a lot of uh, things people can do. And look, hopefully it settles some nerves and some fear around it. So look, thanks, Christelle and Mary, for a, an insightful and an important discussion, I think, especially given the, the results of that research from HR Locker. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. And don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. If you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate it. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at InsideHR.ie. Thank you, Christelle. And thank you, Mary. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Christelle. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Inside HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insidehr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.